If you got your Bibles or your tablets or whatever you're using nowadays, um, open them up to the book of Matthew. All of the notes for today's message are also available on the YouVersion Bible app, so you can follow along there with the message today, and uh, all the scriptures are on there too. But we try to make everything as available as possible. Um, if you hopped online to give today, you're going to see a giving link that still says LifePoint Church. If you text to give today, you're still going to see a link that pops up that says LifePoint Church. Don't let that throw you off. We're in the middle of transition um, and, and change, and sometimes the tech stuff drags a little bit, and it's dragging a little bit. Our service provider is working hard to change all that stuff over. But don't let that throw you off because you can give to LifePoint Church and it still comes to Eastgate Church, okay? Give to Eastgate Church, and it still comes to the same place, so don't let that throw you off. If you hopped online and tried to give today, or if you were trying to text to give, um, don't let that throw you off as well. Matthew chapter 16. Starting at verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do you say the son of who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And Jesus says, But what about you? Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the Living God. This is the interesting exchange that Jesus is having with his disciples. They're just walking along, and he drops this question on them, and he says, hey, who do people say that I am? Now, anytime Jesus starts asking questions, you know something's up, because he already knows the answer to the question that he's asking. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's not like Jesus didn't know what people were thinking about him, or what people were, were saying about him, because all through the New Testament, you can see occasion after occasion where it would say Jesus knew their thoughts and he said this or Jesus knew what was in their hearts or he, and he said this so it wasn't going to catch Jesus off guard he already knew the answer to this question he was answering the question to set up another question he was asking the question rather to set up another question who do people say that I am and then he brings it down to a personal level and he says who do you say that I am Peter gives this awesome answer. He just knocks it out of the park. Probably one of the few times in his life Peter got something right. He was just like, yeah, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. He asked a question to set up a question. He wanted to bring it down to a personal level. It's not so much about what other people say about me because other people have opinions, other people have thoughts, other people have interpretations of who I am. But what matters is who you say I am. Because your personal revelation of who I am impacts how you operate in this world for me. Who do you say that I am? That's what I'm interested in. And it's big. Jesus was, was setting them up for a, a huge, what was hopefully going to be a huge personal revelation in their heart for who they, he was because he knows that the consistency and depth of our walk with God hinges on our understanding of who Jesus is. It hinges on it. Everything is about Jesus. 
It starts with Jesus. It ends with Jesus. He's the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, then the end. He's the first. He's the last. He says that I'm the vine. You are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It all starts and ends with me. Who do you say that I am? Because how you see me and how you view me is going to impact how you operate for me. This is why so many people, you see them in, in church and you see them go through their, their walk with God and they, they, start to get, they get saved and they're so full of excitement, they're so full of joy, you know, and, and they, get, they get in the rhythm of going to church and it's new things, new experiences, new stuff. And then life throws something at them and they have to stop. Because it's forcing them to move into an area that they don't see that Jesus is enough to go into. Because they're limited in how they see Jesus. So when we get the bad news about our health, we freak out because we don't quite yet see Jesus as the healer. Or maybe he's the healer for everybody else, but just not the healer for us. You know? Our personal Revelation, our personal view, our personal interaction, how we see Jesus matters because it plays out in our everyday lives. If we don't know that he's a provider, we're going to scramble and freak out and try to make stuff happen on our own when there's not enough money in the bank. We're not going to have peace if we don't know that he is in and of himself peace. You got to know him. Who do you say that I am? I wonder this morning who we say Jesus is personally. Not what the person next to you is thinking. Not what the person across the road from you is thinking or what your mom or family members or even pastors that you might have had before. Not their view on who Jesus is. But who do you say Jesus is in your life? Because whoever you say Jesus is in your life affects the level in which you operate in his kingdom. And it's going to affect how we operate as a church. Are y'all with me this morning? Who do we say that he is? It's all about relationship. It's all about relationship. It's all about how close we are to him. Because the more time you spend with somebody, the better you know them. And the better you know somebody, the more likely you are to trust them. I don't know about you, but I don't trust anybody I don't know. If I don't know you, I'm not going to trust you that well. But when I spend time with you and I get to know you and I see you prove over time that track record. How many of y'all have seen God prove a track record over and over and over again of faithfulness time and time again? When he proves himself faithful, you know that he's trustworthy. And the stuff that happens in life doesn't rock you so much. Why are you spending time on this, Josh? If it's important enough for Jesus to drive it home to the disciples, I thought it would be cool for us to talk about it today. Because how we view God... The depth of our relationship with him is going to impact how effective we are in this world and how effective we are as a church. In Matthew 16, dropping down just a few more verses, um, in verse 17, Jesus replies, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. This was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church. It's his church. Church is something that Jesus started. It's not man-made. We didn't come up with it. It wasn't voted on in a boardroom. 
a bunch of religious leaders didn't get together and throw a bunch of names in the hat and come up with, oh, we'll call it Christian, we'll call it this, we'll call it that. Now, Jesus established his church. It's his church. He said, I will establish my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, will not overcome it. Isn't that encouraging? Whatever life throws at you, whatever the enemy throws at you, he says that it will not overcome us. Because church isn't just about what we do corporately. We individually are the church. He said the gates of hell will not overcome it. You know, I've seen the enemy throw a lot of stuff at the people at this church. Over the last six months, I've seen a lot of personal struggle. I've seen a lot of personal attack. I've seen people lose jobs, get jobs, get diagnosed with illnesses, have family members go into the hospital, lose family members, have hell break loose in their marriage. I've seen the enemy attack time and time again. But aren't you glad that we got the promise in the Word of God that says that no matter what the enemy throws at us, Jesus said, I will establish my church. I will establish you. And what the enemy tries to do in your life will not prevail against you. That's awesome. That's awesome. We've been through a lot of stuff as a church. We've been through a long journey as a church. But here's what I know. We've been through a lot. We've been hit hard. But on our worst day, the enemy couldn't take us out on, our best, on his best day. We're still here. We're still worshiping God. We're still reaching this community. We're still giving him praise. We're still shouting. We're still seeing him move. Don't you let the enemy discourage you because we've got a promise in the word that says he will not prevail against us. His church, I will establish my church. Now, if he establishes his church, how many of you would want to guess that maybe he's got a certain way that he wants his church to operate? It doesn't take long to read the Bible to figure out that God's pretty particular about a few things. My church, I want it done my way. And I want this church to be a church that reflects the original intent of Jesus when he established his church. His church, his way. His church, his way. But we can't be that church if we as individuals and we corporately don't have that deep revelation of who he is. We can't take the territory that God wants us to take as a church if we don't see him through the eyes that we need to see him through. There are two groups of people in the children of Israel that stood the Jordan River looking at the promised land and a bunch of the spies said, we can't do it. And two of the spies that went out said, we can. Because everybody else had a limited view of who God was, but two people knew that God was faithful and could keep his promise. I think churches all over this country and all over this world find themselves in the same position where they stand on the promise, on the edge of the promise that God has given them, on the edge of potential, on the edge of possibility, on the edge of seeing so many powerful things happen, but they shrink back because they see the giants that are in the land and they get intimidated by the battles that they know are going to be in front of them. But my God, let there be a few people rise up that are able to look over and know that God is able to keep his promise, that he's able to fulfill, fulfill fulfill what he, he said he would do, that God is the God who cannot 
fail. And if we serve a God that can't fail, there is no giant in any land that he can't knock down as we march forward. My God, let the church get fired up and see Jesus through the eyes that he wants us to see him through. When we see God for who he really is, personally, it changes everything. So as I was praying over this, I just love, I love what he's doing in our church. And I love what's happening. And there's just a few things that God put on my spirit. Josh, these things, these things, these things. Be a church that is about these things. And I want to share a few of them with you this morning in the time that we've got together. The first thing is this. That I want us to be a church where we worship God. A church where we worship God. Now, I didn't say come in here while the band plays a bunch of music. Are you with me? I want to be a church where we worship God. Where we realize that He alone is worthy. He alone is worthy. And we get it right. We get it right. I, I just want to get it right and please Him, guys. I had all this stuff prepared to say, but I feel like God's kind of taking me in a different direction with this, so bear with me as I ramble on what I feel like God's putting in my heart. I want to be a church where we worship God. This church was established by Jesus way back when, and this church is going to always be about Jesus. He is the head of this church, not me. He is the head of this church. He is worthy of all glory and all honor and all praise. It's all because of him. And I want this church to be a church that is all about him in everything that we do. That there not be one individual kingdom established anywhere in this place, but everywhere in this place, every ministry, all over this campus, and everything that we do, we do as an act of worship to him because all ministry in this place is done for an audience of one. I love you guys, but I'm not here preaching today because of you. If nobody was in this building today, I'd still be up here preaching because I want to please him. I want to please him. And when we get that heart as a church, all I want to do is please him. It's not about me or my agenda. When we get that, when we get that, it unleashes something powerful in the spiritual dimension. It really does. Because when we worship... God moves on our behalf. Not just corporately in here, which is awesome because I love what was happening this morning. I want it just to be the beginning of something more powerful next week. I love it. I love hearing people worship God. But our whole life is an act of worship to Him. Amen? Everything. I want to be a church that worships God. Because when we worship Him, He moves on our behalf. When we worship Him, His presence is with us. When we have a constant focus of worship in our lifestyle, the Bible says that he inhabits the praises of his people. Amen? That's not just singing. That's an attitude of the heart. That's an attitude of the heart. His presence. And his presence is where the fun stuff starts to happen. That's where you see people get healed. That's where you see people restored. That's where you see broken families put back together. That's where you see drug addicts set free. That's where you see people addicted to porn break loose and get set free. In his presence, the Bible says that the yoke of bondage comes off of us and we're set free. 
in his presence. And that only comes through worship. And that was a big part of us choosing the name Eastgate Church because there's a passage of scripture in the book of Ezekiel that talks about how the presence of the Lord entered into the temple, back into the temple, through the East Gate. And we want this church to be a place where the presence of God permeates, where the presence of God saturates, where the presence of God is here. We want to facilitate the presence of God because it's only in His presence that His anointing is able to work. We want to see the miraculous. We want to see powerful things happen. And we want to see His presence, what He does here. We want to see that go out into this community and restore all the messed up stuff that we see going on in this world. How many of y'all watch the news lately? This world is jacked up, man. It's jacked. People can't figure out if they're a boy or a girl, what bathroom to go to. People are snapping and shooting people in Walmart over TVs. You know, not even on Black Friday. It's crazy. People are going nuts. People are losing their mind. You know, As sometimes I drive through town and I wonder, why, why am I even bringing my kid out in public? These people are insane. Our area, our area, saturated with issues. Drug use in Douglas County is through the roof. Divorce in this area is through the roof. Sex trafficking, sexual abuse, child molestation in this area through the roof. Crime in Douglas County through the roof. This area needs an outpouring of the presence of God. This area needs, this area needs a church that is fearless in proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. This area needs people of God who are willing to step out and show the love of God. Not just preach at people, but show the love of God and serve them in practical ways and be the example that Jesus said we should be and win them one at a time. This area needs Jesus. Now, there's a lot of great churches in this area doing a lot of great things. I'm not church bashing. There's a lot of awesome churches around here doing it. But this is what I know. One church can't do it by themselves. Two can't do it by, even ten can't do it by themselves. There are over 250,000 unchurched people just in the Douglas, Carroll, and Paulding County areas. By the numbers. 5.8 million unchurched people in the state of Georgia. We can all reach all we can reach. And it almost not be enough. I want to see an outpouring of the presence of God in this place as we worship him in everything that we do. I want to see the presence of God go into this community to touch people's lives because it's important to me. I want this to be a church where we reach our community and our world. I want this to be a church where we reach our community and our world. I don't want us to ever get used to gathering together and that just be it. What's the point if we're not reaching people? We're just a country club. We're just some social gathering where we get together and we're excited because we get to see our new friend. And there's nothing wrong with seeing friends. I love, I, love seeing, uh, I, love, I love seeing people here, even the Georgia fans. I love seeing y'all in church. I'm still praying for you. God will deliver you from a whole bunch of jacked up stuff. But I still, I don't understand it, but I love you. There's a whole lot of stuff I don't understand about people. I don't understand Georgia fans. I don't understand go dogs. I don't get that. 
I don't get that, but I'm praying for you. Maybe one day you'll be able to say War Eagle. It'll be awesome. <laughs> I want to see us reach people in this community, though, guys. And there's a lot of practical ways that we can do it. And we've talked about this for months now, but I'm just telling you, you've got a pastor whose heart is to reach this community. And not just this community, but to reach this world in every way possible. What does that look like? I don't know. We'll figure it out. We're going to listen to God and do what he says. There's a lot of awesome stuff we're already doing. We're going to add to it, though. What a great facility we've got to host some events and outreaches. Man, I think we could, co- we could do a pretty cool little event in the fall of this year around Halloween here if we wanted to, to reach the community. There's a lot of practical ways that we can do it. I don't want us, though, I don't want us, though, to fall into the trap that so many churches fall into because they lose sight of who Jesus is and lose sight of his heart to reach and save those who are lost. Because our view of who he is impacts how we operate in this world. And when we lose the heart of Jesus, we lose the heart of evangelism. You'll never be able to travel the same way that you used to before 2001. Never. Y'all remember what it was like? You you guys that have got a few years behind you, you could walk into the airport, you could walk right up to the gate and see people off, whether you had a ticket or not, because nobody was wondering whether or not you were going to blow something up. Nineteen people. Nineteen people changed the way we have to travel. Nineteen people, in the name of their God, their false God, brought the world to a halt and brought the most powerful nation in the history of the world to a stop because of their commitment to their God. Nineteen people changed the world in a horrible way to serve a false God. I wonder what could happen in the world if the church of Jesus Christ could catch that kind of passion and that kind of commitment and say, I'm willing to do whatever needs to be done, even if it means laying down my life to see the goal accomplished. I think we could see a revival tear across this world like we only dream about and read about in the New Testament. If 19 people can do it, why can't we? We serve the living God. We serve an unstoppable God with unlimited supply. Why can't we impact the world from Douglasville, Georgia? Why can't we? Why can't we? I want to see us reach our community, and I want to see us reach our world. I'm so excited. I'm talking to a missionary right now. Um, I, think, I think next week I'm, 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 I'm meeting with this Yes, next week I'm sitting down meeting with this guy. And we're looking at setting up submissions trips for this church in the fall of this year. Excited about that. Really excited about that. How many of y'all have ever wanted to go to Bolivia? I know that's, your, that's an awesome vacation place right there. It's on my bucket list. I can't wait to go to Bolivia. Well, that's on the list, guys. We're going to go there and we're going to tell them about some Jesus. We already support missionaries doing a lot of great stuff. 
but I want to see us reach our community. And it's not just enough to do that. We can't preach at people. We've got to reach them with the love of God. We've got to reach them with the love of God. And that's why I, I, always, I always say that it's, just, it's, just, it's not about growing a church. This is not about growing a church. This is about reaching people. This is about reaching the lost. And I don't want you to confuse what I'm saying. And I don't want to call other pastors' motives into question. But we are not about church growth here. We're about seeing lives transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. And we want people to know that he can do the same thing in their lives that he's done in ours. That's why another big thing that I feel like God's laying on my heart about this church is it's not just about reaching people in the community. I, I want us to be a church where religion dies. I want to be a church where religion dies. Now, we live in the deep south on that beautiful, beautiful Bible belt where religion and tradition and preference reign. They reign in so many places. But a church can't function with a religious spirit. Religion is what put our Savior on the cross. Jesus was always butting heads with the religious leaders of his day. I think his ministry was awesome. He hung out with sinners and he ticked off religious people everywhere he went. I just think that's hilarious. That's a pretty good model to build a church around right there. Or reach the lost and tick off religious people. There's nothing wrong with that at all. <laughs> religious spirits, so they, they, they jack up churches though. Because a person with a religious spirit and a religious mindset has lost sight of who Jesus is. It's all about who we say he is. Who we say he is. Who he is to us. And if you've got a religious spirit or attitude, your priorities and everything's all jacked up because religious spirit, they've got some very key characteristics. They, a, religious, a religious spirit will always exalt personal preference. It's always about personal preference. They expect churches to cater to them. To them. I don't like the music they play in that place. Okay, cool. We're not playing it for you anyway. Well, I didn't really enjoy worship. Awesome. We weren't worshiping you. <laughs> We're worshiping Jesus in this place. Not worshiping you. Well, I don't know if I like that crazy background on that stage. That just looks weird. That's kind of sci-fi. Religious people get so upset. I think that looks stinking cool, doesn't it? That looks really cool. A little bit of light and some stuff make, make a big difference in a place. I don't think I like, I don't like the fact that we've got, me personally, I don't like the fact that we've got an awesome new facility and we still got chairs in here that are like 30-something years old and we can't get rid of it. They just won't go away, man. They was lasting forever. They've been everywhere. You know what? Whoever made these chairs, I want to meet these people because I want them to build my next house. It is not going, it is 500 years from now. Jesus, the world will be destroyed. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth like the Bible says. And God will be looking down at my house that this guy built and go, any minute now, any minute now it ought to come down. Because it's built so well. These chairs will be here forever. But it's, not, it's not about us. It's not about me. And it's not about whether or not I like these chairs. Praise God, we got chairs. 
Boy, your rear ends would be getting numb right about now if y'all had to sit on the floor. It's preference. It's what we like. I want this church to exist to reach one group of people. The lost. I want this church to be a church that unchurched people want to come to. That unchurched people can come in and not feel alienated because of churchanese or christianese or crazy symbols all over the place that don't make sense to anybody out in the world. I want this church to be geared around reaching people that are desperate for the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we can have fun too in the process. But I want us to be a church that reaches the unchurched. I want this church to, to stay so far away from religious spirits because a religious spirit, it judges... Uh, maybe we shouldn't talk about this today in church. We'll just keep going. It judges other people's sins while ignoring their own. Boy, it's really easy to spot what other people are struggling with. Why don't you just get over this junk? Isn't it about time? You've been dealing with this stuff for five years. Get over it, dude. God, thank you so much for your forgiveness in my life and your patience for me. You know, I'm struggling and I'm trying hard. I'm doing the best that I can, God. Thank you for your grace in my life. Will you get over this already? I know we've never done that before. It judges people for their sin while ignoring their own. And a religious spirit, it puts on an image instead of being honest. And I think this is where we miss it more often than not in church world. Because when you come through the doors of, those, that, uh, of a sanctuary or, or a building, I mean, your life's supposed to be together, right? When you walk in and people say, hey, how you doing? It's supposed to be, I'm doing great. Doing awesome. God is moving. I love it. And inside you're going, I'm freaking out. I don't know. I'm going to pay my rent this month. You know? I'm freaking out. I don't know. And, and we put on this face, and it creates a pressure to perform. And a pressure to perform isolates us and prevents us from opening up and letting God move in our lives. We stop it because we're not able to be honest. And when pastors give altar calls and say, hey, man, if you've got something going on in your life, come on up and we want to pray with you today. We stay in our seats because we're supposed to have it together because we're uncomfortable and we don't feel free enough to come up and let people pray for us because God forbid somebody know that something's jacked up in our lives. And we miss out on the opportunity for God to do something powerful in our lives. I had one of the worst couple of weeks that I've had in a long time. I'm telling you. Got hit with this crazy virus. Put me down for about a week. And just when I was getting over that, I get a message to let me know. My dad just had a massive heart attack for the last few days. I've been up at the hospital praying for him, you know. Wanting to see God restore him. And praise God. By the way, thank y'all for all the texts and the support and, and the calls and just letting us know that you're praying for my dad. I really appreciate that, you know. Um, he's doing well. He's doing well. And they're, they're thinking he may come home here in the next couple of days. So that's awesome. That's awesome. Doesn't always work out that way. I'm very grateful. Very grateful that it is. But sometimes, well, I say all that to say... So, we go through stuff. How many of you would say the last couple of weeks you've gone through some junk? Yeah. We ought to be able to walk in here and say, I'm going through some stuff. Can you pray for me? You know what I mean? We should be able to do that. That's why it's also important to me that this place be a place 
where no one walks alone. I want this place to be a place where no one walks alone. What do you mean, Josh? Because there's a lot of junk that we go through in life. The Bible says that we, believers, us, we are supposed to encourage one another and bear one another's burdens. And are you ready for this? The Bible also says we're supposed to confess our sins to each other. When's the last time you ever felt comfortable enough walking up to somebody in church, even if you know them, and say, hey, man, struggling right now I love God but I'm really getting tempted to do this can you just pray with me that I, I stay strong and beat this stuff and, and be who God wants me to be you know but we're not honest like that because we like to put on a face I don't want that to happen in this church I want this church to be a church that's honest with each other a church that's open with each other a church that actually gives us the opportunity to function the way Jesus wants his church to operate. No one walks alone. But we encourage each other. We bear each other's burdens. We keep each other accountable. And we push each other on to doing awesome, something awesome in the kingdom of God. And I get it. Because sometimes people look at you weird when you say stuff. And maybe we should be careful in how we phrase things when we talk to people. I mean, if I walk up to you and I'm like, hey, bro, how you doing? Can you pray for me? Um... I've been smoking crack and looking at pictures of naked people on the internet. Probably going to look at me a little different, aren't you? Some of y'all are still laughing at that. I love it. I've been smoking crack and looking at pictures of naked people. That's awesome. I'm going to go wash my hands now. I'll see you later, you know. I'm not going to say I wouldn't do that. I'm going to pray for you from a distance. You know, I get that. Sometimes it's weird, but we ought to be there to pray for each other and support each other. Discipleship is huge. You know who the Bible calls to disciple? All the people that call Jesus Lord and Savior. You know who the Bible calls to disciple all those people? All of us. To help each other. Discipleship doesn't happen in a classroom. And that's where a lot of churches get it wrong. It doesn't happen in a classroom. Discipleship happens in real life. It's when I'm going through something that you've already walked through. And you're able to come back and say, hey man, I know what you're going through. I've been there. Let me tell you how faithful God was in my life. Let me encourage you. And let me show you how I did it. So you don't have to make the mistakes that I made in my walk with God. I want my ceiling to be your floor. I want to pick you up on my shoulders and carry you and help you be more successful in your walk with God than I've been. I want to show you the ropes and help you miss the potholes that I fell into. That's discipleship. Not getting into deep theological stuff. I'm saying that's not important to learn deep stuff in the word of God but that's not where real life operates real life is how do I practically apply this Bible to my life and how do I keep from being jacked up and just letting God do what he wants to do in my life I want this to be a church where we are free to disciple free to train 
free to show people the ropes. Not just in classrooms, but us. Us. Can you imagine how awesome this church would be years from now if we owned discipleship as a body of believers? If we owned taking care of each other and encouraging each other as a body of believers? Where pastoral care didn't rely on the pastor or the staff. You do realize, I love you guys, there is absolutely no way for us to take care of all the people in this church, even at the size that we are now. There's no way. Can't do it. Can't do it. That's why most churches never reach over 200 people because the senior pastor is driving himself crazy trying to keep up with everybody because they get their rear ends hurt if he's not there to take care of every issue in their life. That's just not going to be the way we do it here. It's not going to be. We're going to take care of each other. Amen? Why? Because that's how Jesus wants his church to operate. C.J. Varney oversees pastoral care for our church, and she's doing an awesome job doing that. She's killing it. And I want you to think that we don't take it serious, but this is what I know. We can work ourselves into the ground, and there's still going to be stuff that we can't get to because there's just not enough hours in the day. But when we step up and we capture the heart of God and we look out for each other, that's a beautiful place to be where no one walks alone. No one walks alone. I want it to be said that Eastgate Church is a church where no one walks alone. Where we watch each other's backs. Where we're family. Where we're family. Where we genuinely love each other and care about each other. The way that Jesus said we should. Because when we have the heart of Jesus, because we see him the right way, we react to other people in the right way. No one walks alone. Here's what I know. Jesus established the church a long time ago. But the story of the New Testament church, the story of the church that Jesus started is still being written. It's still being written. I hear pastors and teachers and all that, they say, Occasionally, we need to get back to the book of Acts. We got to get back to the book of Acts where the story of the New Testament church is told. We've got to get back to those things that, that they did and, and follow that example that they said. And I get what they're saying because in a lot of cases, we really do need to get back to that because it was simple and it was effective and it wasn't as complicated. It wasn't ritualistic. It was raw and it was organic and people were just in love with Jesus and it was overflowing into everybody's life. But the book of Acts was a launching pad. It's not something to go back to. It's something to build from. Because it's still being written today. And you go back and you look at the, the book of Acts. You, when you get to the last chapter and you read the last verse, if you guys ever want to take the time to do this, it, you read it, it, it doesn't read like, you won't see the words, and so ended the ministry of the New Testament church. God be with you all. It doesn't say that. Because that story is still being written today. Because the church that Jesus established is still functioning today. The question is, who do we say he is? Because who we say he is affects 
how we operate as a church. That story's still being written. We have an opportunity. Write a page in that story. Not just as a church, but with our individual lives. What kind of story do you want to write? You ever stop and think about that? What do you want your life to be all about? When it's all said and done, when it's all said and done and you breathe your last breath, what is the story of your life going to be about? What is the story of this church going to be about? Is it going to be that we made some good friends and had some good times and accomplished a lot of stuff in the past that we can reminisce about? our story going to be that we get into a new facility and we get comfortable and we get complacent that we've got the good job making the good money and life is good and we don't have time to really do anything else These are the stories that are being written by too many people. These are the stories that are being carried on by too many churches. And I don't want to go out that way. I want to to accomplish something more. I want God to look down on me and say, That guy right there, he wants to please me. I want him to look down at this church and say, those people right there. They're not perfect. They don't have it all together. But they want to please me. I want to write a story to the glory of God that makes what we read about in the book of Acts look boring. But we're only going to be able to do that when we get our personal revelation of who Jesus is in the right place. Who do we say that he is? Who do we say that he is? The series that we're in right now is called Shift, and it's all about us shifting into a new season personally in our walk with God and corporately as a church, stepping into this new vision that we feel like he's calling us into. And We're just not going to be able to do it, though, on yesterday's relationship with God. It's got to be deeper today. It's got to be stronger tomorrow. Why are you saying that? Because I don't want to miss out on the opportunity to see a revival sweep through this community and through this state. Because we weren't willing 
to pay the price and do what God was asking us to do. Because we settled with being comfortable instead of being committed. Where we were put to sleep by religion instead of having a passionate and real relationship with Jesus. I don't want that for us. I want us to write a powerful story. this community, guys. How about you? Who do you say that he is? Stand to your feet as we close this morning. Who do you say that he is? Why are you doing all of this, Josh? I, I, here's what I know. Ephesians 3.20, it reads like this. It says, Now to him, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is with work within us. Whatever we can dream up, God can one up. He really can. But it's according to his power that is at work within us. See, it has to do with how we perceive Him. Because if we see Him as the God that can do the impossible, you know what He'll be in our lives? The God who can do the impossible. If we believe that He's the God that can give this community to us, He's the God that can give this community to us as we go out. If we believe that He's the God that can restore our family, guess what? He's the God that can heal and restore who do you say that he is this morning? Bow your heads and close your eyes.